Our text today is found in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I mentioned this scripture in the message last week, but just referred to it. But today we read it, as many of you all in your small group have also probably read this scripture as well. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Why does God allow suffering? If you are physically able this morning, I'd encourage you to stand in honor and reverence of the reading of God's holy word today. At this point, we believe that Jesus is still in Jerusalem, but he is, as he says, as he passed by or as he's going. And it says, as he, speaking of Jesus and the disciples are with him, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now think about what they're asking here. He was, they were wondering, which was not uncommon in Jewish thought of that time, that you could even sin in the womb. We do not believe that. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. May God bless the reading of his word today. You may be seated. Now tune in. I'm not starting off with a, a light thought uh, or a joke or anything like that. Uh, so I want you to really tune in very quickly this morning of what I'm about to, to read to you, dealing with the thought of the question that the disciples asked about the man being born blind, of who sinned. Did he sin or did his parents sin that caused him to be born blind? And it's a quote from F.F. F. Bruce, and please listen very closely to this. This does not mean that God deliberately calls the child to be born blind. It does mean that God overruled the disaster of the child's blindness so that when the child grew to manhood, he might, by recovering his sight, see the glory of God in the face of Christ, and others seeing the work of God might turn to the true light of the world, Jesus Christ. That's, in, that's an important understanding today. And I thought in my personal life, I would be transparent with you this morning to plug it into that thought. 2001, I was diagnosed with... Uh, bipolar or manic depressive in, in my personal life in the struggles I've seen with that that goes back even to childhood I do not believe that God did that to me deliberately but he allowed it you can't get God off the hook with that nor does he want us to by the way there's a lot of bad theology out there today trying to get God off the hook from all that. I do believe that he allowed it for my life. He ordained it, so to speak. 
that he might show me his glory and lead me to the true light of the world, Jesus Christ. Today, may the light of the world open our eyes that by faith we might see his glory even in our seasons of suffering that we all go through. Let's pray. Father, if you would, have mercy upon me today. And in the heaviness of my heart this morning, Lord, use me as an instrument to speak your word to your people. Draw us, Lord, into your glory and into your grace, even in our sufferings. Speak to each heart here this morning, Lord, as only you can, and minister into their needs. Please help us. We need your love. We need your support. We need your grace. We need your redemption. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Right off the bat, I want you to know I believe in a sovereign God. And some of you might be saying, well, what really does that mean? Well, instead of just pulling out the theological dictionary and just giving you uh, a meaning of what it means to be sovereign, I found this from John Piper, well-noted uh, pastor and preacher and author. And he writes this, dealing with not only the sovereignty of God, but also about Jesus Christ found in that sovereignty. You can find this also, what I'm quoting in your bulletin, in the order of service. And so you can follow along or go back later and read this. John Piper writes, when we think about the sovereignty of God, there are no limits to God's rule. That is key. There are no limits to God's rule. This is part of what it means to be God. He is sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. He is never helpless, never frustrated, never at a loss. And in Christ, God's awesome sovereign providence is the place we feel most reverent, most secure, most free. And I add today, I do not wish to serve and worship a God that is not sovereign. And trust me, not every Christian thought believes that. But I say to you today, either God is sovereign over all or He's not at all. It goes on to say, the ultimate reason that suffering exists in the universe is so that Christ, God's only Son, might display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God by suffering in Himself to overcome our Suffering. Now listen, God is not the author of evil. He's not the author of sin. He's not the author of temptation. But listen to me. He does allow it. And He does ordain it. And He does so to reveal His grace and glory to mankind. There are Challenging lessons that we learn in times of suffering is like Job of old. We find in suffering that we do not control everything. That's a hard lesson. I don't care how much theology you know, there are things we want to stop for us ourselves, but especially others that we love. We want to change, we want to fix, and it is painful for us when we come to the realization that there are some things, many things, that we cannot change, we cannot stop, and we cannot fix. 
We must trust in the Lord. That's a hard lesson. I still don't like that lesson. There are things in other people's lives. I, we've, how many times have we said, if I could take their suffering, I would, especially for our children and grandchildren. We mean that. We would, but we can't. If I could stop this uh, suffering going on, not only in my life, but there again, especially for those I love, I would, but we find that we can't always stop it. So another lesson we learn in the scripture that we read today from John chapter 9 is that we need to tread lightly when we assume to know all the reasons that God allows, listen, specific suffering. Tread lightly there. Not everyone does. We many times, as I said, or like we carry this thought, well, if they're suffering, it's probably for they deserve it for something they've done. That's what Job's friends assumed, and they were wrong. We must tread lightly when we assume to know all the reasons for specific sufferings. Even though all events that happen are a result of God's plan, only God knows the ultimate meaning and purpose behind those events. Some things we will never understand this side of heaven. We will not. That's why we used to sing an old song, Farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. Cheer up my brother, live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. Isaiah 55 and 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And God is saying, I think far above you, and I have a plan and a purpose of redemption in this fallen and sinful world. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unknowable are his ways. And so though we do not know the why of suffering that takes place in certain seasons of our lives and in specific places of our lives and in certain ways, we know that God allows suffering to take place for His glory to be seen and also for the ultimate good of His people and also for the judgment of an unbelieving world. And so for a few moments this morning, I want us to quickly look at some reasons. Again, this is big picture stuff. I'm not going to assume to know specifically why you are going through certain sufferings in your life in this certain season and time of your life. But we do know that God allows suffering in our life. And for a few moments, I want to speak to the Christian of why God allows suffering in the life of a Christian. The first is this. God uses suffering in the life of a Christian to kill sin in our lives and produce godliness. He uses it for that. When suffering takes place, here's what happens many times. It exposes our sins like pride or like unbelief and a multitude of other sins that need to be dealt with by the help with the help of the Lord. Suffering strips those hidden sins bare and it exposes them and causes us many times to begin to look to the Lord and deal with Him. 
It's in suffering many times we learn to deal with these sins properly because when everything's going good and well, we usually don't, right? Or we don't as fervently. And so God does allow suffering in a Christian's life to kill sin in our lives. Remember, the Christian's goal is to be like Christ, right? And that's what he's making us into, right? To be like him in heaven. Jesus Christ is in heaven, in flesh, perfected. That's the plan he has for you, Christian. And we, even in this side of heaven, we will never be fully perfected, but we are to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and grow to be like Christ. A.W. Tozer, an old pastor, said many years ago, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxieties. So one, God does allow suffering in a Christian's life to kill sin in our lives and produce godliness. Secondly, let me go back and just make this mention. There's also a good reason that we remember the godly lives of saints before us that experience great suffering. There's a reason that for that. It's, there's a reason that we remember their lives. There's a reason that we read about their lives. And it, many times when you read about their biographies, we find that their suffering produced a godliness that amazes us that God used them greatly in their suffering. Secondly, God allows suffering in the life of a Christian and this is so important, to loosen our grip on temporal and worthless things. To loosen our grip on temporal or worthless things. Colossians 3.2 reminds us by saying this, Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Something I have noticed in my life and as a pastor, and even as one that has suffered, that people speak many times, not all the time, but many times people speak and think more deeply in times of suffering. Would you agree with that? Think of the great hymns. I mean, I didn't know Out of the Ashes. That was new to me, but the words were beautiful. I can only imagine what the writer had went through that the Holy Spirit used him or her, I didn't look at who wrote it, to write a song with those beautiful words out of the ashes. Just a closer walk with me. So many of the greatest hymns were birthed out of great times of suffering. People speak and think more deeply in times of suffer. And here's another thing. When we suffer, new vehicles, the latest technology, and many other worldly pleasures are not as desirable, are they? They're not. When we're suffering, the taste for those things are not as wonderful unto us. And a true child of God will begin to look beyond these temporal and worthless things and to gaze at Christ. And so suffering causes us to see the beauty of the eternal. Even think of the African-American people that were brought over here as slaves, the wonderful spirituals that were birthed through their suffering that we still sing today. They did not have a grasp on the things of the earth. They could not. And so they gazed at Christ and His beauty and the hope of the gospel and the hope of heaven. 
So God allows suffering to kill sin in our lives, to produce godliness, but also to loosen our grip on temporal and worthless things that we would not otherwise do when things are going our way. Thirdly, God allows suffering in our lives to purify our faith, our hope, and our love. If you're suffering today, which all of us suffer in different ways, at different degrees, at different seasons of our life, but suffering is the refiner's fire. He puts us in the fire, so to speak, to remove the dross or the impurities of our life. Suffering aids us in removing the hypocrisy of our faith. The hypocrisy in our love many times. Even in our hope. And it brings more sincerity into them. Again, suffering causes us to be refined by fire, removing those impurities of our faith, hope, and love. Only the fire can do that. Good times do not do that. Good times do not remove hypocrisy. Suffering does. It humbles us. It brings us to our knees. So suffering kills sin in our life, produces godliness. It loosens our grip on temporal and worthless things. It purifies our faith, our hope, and our love. But also God allows suffering in a Christian's life, so that a watching world will see our sincere faith as we suffer and be drawn to Christ. This is the hardest lesson, that sometimes our suffering is not all about us, but it's about others that need to see us go through life suffering with our faith, and it draws them to Christ. Wasn't that why Christ suffered? He didn't suffer to be more perfected in Himself. But He suffered for us, and that we might see His suffering and be drawn to Him. We Christians bear witness of the goodness, the faithfulness, the mercy, and the grace that is we find is sufficient for us in our times of suffering. Faith, true faith, listen to me, true faith is most brilliant to behold during times of suffering. It is not as beautiful when it's wearing Rolexes and driving Mercedes and living in mansions. True faith is not as beautiful in those times. It is much more beautiful to watch a Christian go through times of suffering and depend upon God and find that His grace is sufficient. And I want to say this, again, we hear a lot of this about uh, speaking of Rolexes, Mercedes, and mansions, that a lot of Christian people will say that's God's blessing. I want to say this. Don't assume that God approves of people with those things. Because those are the same things that Satan promises people. And even the psalmist asks those questions. Why do evil people have all these things? And I'm suffering and struggling. So when we see people or these uh, TV hoaxes and jokers and clowns telling you that the blessing of the Lord brings great wealth and great cars and great watches and all of the other things of this life. I want to tell you, those are the same thing that Satan offered even unto Christ when he was tempting him. So don't assume that that's the blessing of the Lord. That might actually be the gift of Satan to keep them drawn and to keep them in bondage away from Christ. 
Right today, there's probably, um, there might be a widow in the world just evicted from her home and will go out into the streets and maybe on a cold night suffer and die. But she might be more rich in faith because her hope is in Christ and her true riches are found in heaven and her true love is in the Father than all the people living well in heated homes around the world. There's a reason, listen, there's a reason that the church is the most powerful and mesmerizing under persecution more than when it's lying in ease and sleeping in satin sheets. The church has always throughout history been more powerful when it's been persecuted. Always. Not when it had the greatest political power. Not when it was esteemed. That brought too much nominal Christianity, laziness, if you will, a half-hearted faith. And I want to say this, Christian, people are watching us suffer, our family, our friends, enemies, other believers are watching you today go through periods of suffering, even the lost world. Even in your suffering... Lead them to Christ. Lead them to Christ in how you walk by faith, depending upon God's grace. Let them be amazed at how you suffer resting in God's grace. Let them see your true faith and what it is in. And so God does allow times of suffering in a Christian's life to kill sin in our lives, produce godliness, to loosen our grip on temporal and worthless things, to purify our faith, hope, and love. So a watching world will see our true faith and God's grace in it. And lastly, He allows suffering in a Christian's life to improve the growth of our fellowship with God through the reading of His Word, through prayer and worship. This is well known. We seek God more when we suffer than when we have plenty. Wouldn't you agree with that? That's true of my life. I'll be honest with you. I'm a lot more fervent in prayers and other spiritual disciplines when I hurt than when I'm not. And so God uses or ordains or allows suffering to come into my life at times to draw me closer to Him. When we suffer, we're forced to cling to the rock of ages and hide in the mighty fortress, the true and living God, feasting at His table for strength and nourishment so that we can see His glory. We can see by faith His face like the blind man did in John chapter 9. Here's the truth that in and through suffering, God is trying to get our attention. Christian. He's trying to get our attention. But so is the world, and so is Satan, so even our flesh. But God is using that suffering to draw us closer to Him. Child of God, I'm like you. I know firsthand that suffering is painful. It is not enjoyable. 
but we must be of good cheer. Our Lord has us in His powerful grip, and He's not wasting our times of suffering. He's doing something beautiful with it. And He's ultimately using it for the glory of His salvation and even our ultimate good. And He will see us through it. Christian, child of God, you who have trusted and put your life in the hands of Jesus Christ, your suffering is only temporary and it does not compare to the glory and goodness that God has planned and purposed for your life in the end. And we need not doubt the one that holds the universe in his hands, the sovereign, supreme, ruling, living God. 1 Peter 4 and 19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Let me read that again. Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Child of God again. God is going to show you His grace in your times of suffering. He's going to show you His glory. He's going to show you His beauty. The greater things of life. Things that you would only experience in times of suffering. Now notice I've been mainly speaking to the Christian thus far. I want to speak now for just a moment as we come to a close. To those of you sitting in the pew today that have never received Jesus Christ and His free offer of salvation by grace and through faith, you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. God is allowing suffering in your life for a different reason. You've rejected Him time and time again even when the Spirit has drawn you to see Him and you have said, no, I'll live life my way, by my rules. I have my plans, I have my destiny. I'm good enough to get to heaven on my own. I don't need to publicly confess my faith and follow through with baptism. and, and, And you've just rejected all that the Bible teaches about redemption. You still think that you're good enough to get to heaven and you don't need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as the Savior that because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son and whoever will believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. You take things like John 3.16 and you still think, I'll build my bridge to heaven. Your bridge will always come short, beloved. There is only one way to heaven and that's faith in the person and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. To you I speak. Please do not tune me out. God is allowing the suffering in your life, as I said, for a different reason. It's a warning of greater suffering to come beyond the grave and in hell if you reject Him. And if you continue to reject Christ, the suffering that you experience now, beloved, will only be like one grain of sand upon the seashore as to what you will suffer when separated from God's benevolent hand throughout eternity. 
And I want to say that's not God's desire for you. It's not by accident you're here today. It's not by accident that I'm preaching this series. God's brought this group of people together today, Christian and non-Christian, to hear this message. That's not God's desire for you. The Scriptures teach that it is God's will for all to be saved. But you must receive His way of salvation that He prepared for you. He built the bridge from earth to heaven and eternity with His Son, Jesus Christ, through the cross of Calvary, through the empty tomb. But if you continue to reject Christ, it saddens me to say, but your suffering now is just beginning. I don't get joy out of saying that, by the way. He invites you today to repent and call upon the name of Jesus in faith. But again, I say, I give this warning, if you reject Him, And the more times you reject Him, the harder your heart gets. And if you die without Jesus Christ as your Savior, anything that you thought was suffering in this life will be nothing compared to eternity separated from God's love. So to all here today, trust Him. Surrender your life to Him, Christian, unbeliever. Draw close to Him, the Scriptures teach, and He will do what? Draw close to us. And He'll lead you through the valley of suffering to share in His glory throughout eternity. Amen? Father, as we come to a close of this service, may Your will be done in the hearts and the lives of each person under the sound of my voice and the conviction of your Spirit this morning. Work among us, Lord. We know that your Word does not return void or empty. And so, Lord, we believe that you have spoken to each one of us today, even to my heart as I've prepared this with your help. And so, mighty God, encourage the Christian that is suffering and give them grace and strength And take their suffering and make something beautiful of it. And Lord, to the one that has rejected you today, may your spirit fall heavy upon them. And may you, Lord, have mercy on them. May you, Lord, draw them to the throne of grace to find true life, the true light of the world, like that blind man did that day so many years ago. Lead us to your Son, Jesus Christ, all of us. Help us to trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.